Hi, this is Nan Rosalie. You're listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Hey everyone, Chris here. Quantum Leap isn't airing this week, so we're happy to take this opportunity to bring you our interview with Tamika Miller, the director of One Night in Koreatown. Albie joins Fate's Wide Wheel host Sam for a joint chat with Tamika about bringing this powerful episode to life. Thanks to Tamika for taking the time to speak to us, and thanks, as always, to our producers, Harold Sullivan, Glenda Palma, Chris, a.k.a. Brackmang, Mike Covert, Jeff Kiska, Craig Riedler, Cosplay Dad, Charles Allen Gossard, and Morgan Felden. Go to patreon.com slash Podcast to learn more about how you can support the show. And fear not, we will be back next week with our review of Secret History. Now, on with the show. And welcome back to the Quantum Leap Podcast. I'm Albie, and with us today we have Sam from Fates Wide Wheel. Hey, Sam. Hello. Thank you so much for inviting me along. I'm really looking forward to this. Thank you for being part of this. This is really special. We have the director of One Night in Koreatown. We have Tamika Miller. How you doing, Tamika? Great. Thanks for having me. I am so excited to talk to you. And uh, sorry about the short notice. And thank you for making time in your schedule for this. I'm going to spoil it right here. Uh, This is my favorite episode of the new series so far. So uh, it's really a treat to get to speak with you. But before we get to talk about One Night in Koreatown, which uh, I'm sure both of us have a lot of questions, um, I wanted to get a get an idea, a sense of who you are. Um, Like, how did you uh, what was that first time in your life when you thought, I think I want to be a director? Wow. Well, before I answer that question, um, I'm. I'm curious, why is this your favorite episode so far in the sequel of this uh, series? I think it has, for me, it has a lot to do with the the series always has a lot of heart. And that's like my favorite part of it. And I think um, Ernie Hudson just knocked it out of the park in this episode and his storyline. And of course, having to deal with uh, the, the LA riots and stuff and his trauma and then his past and then of course, being with um, Beth and all that stuff together, but mostly it was the story and uh, Ernie Hudson and your directing just brought me right into the story. Like I didn't feel like I was watching a TV show. I thought I felt like I was really there. So oh, it gave me that that feeling of like heart and hope, and there was some you know a little bit of sadness and. Uh, but it was just a really good, really good adventure, and it's it's it reminded me more of the original series than any episode previously. Oh, wonderful. Wow. Wow. Well, thank you for that. <laughs> thank you. Okay. Well, we can just end the interview right there. All right. We're good. <laughs> we're good. Yeah. Like, like I, I, I always wanted to, you know, be a filmmaker and I make little things. I make YouTube videos and different things. And I want to, you know, I study shots. I, I listen to director's commentaries. I do all that stuff. Uh, what, what gave you the bug of wanting to be a filmmaker? Well, I think I was always a, a storyteller from a very young age. Um, I um, actually, my mom is a is an old movie buff, if you will. So I grew up um, watching, uh, you know, old MGM musicals, uh, westerns, and it was just something my mom really loved to watch. So whenever she wanted me to just sort of sit and not move <laughs> as a kid, um, you know, she would put me in front of, you know, the King and I, 
you know, or showboat. So um, I have a love of musical theater um, as well as theater and, and film and, and television. And ultimately I'm, I'm a storyteller. I'm a director writer. So, but it was definitely, you know, looking back on it um, shaped as a, as a little girl, as a young, young girl. Uh, I love musicals as well. Mm -hmm. um, did you, I think my first musical was damn Yankees. That That's a good one. <laughs> uh, it's, it's hard to pick my favorite though. Maybe Chicago right now. I'm not sure. We just saw hairspray a few days ago at the local theater. Oh, um, did you notice yourself like as a young person, like watching the films differently than other people did, like how, how it's done, how I would do this, or did you just enjoy the art form and then decide you wanted to learn how to do that art? I, I enjoyed the art form, you know, as a, as a storyteller, for me, I'm all about how something makes you feel, you know, and I, and as a, as a young person, as a little girl, it was all, I was just swept away in the production design. I didn't know it was called production design then, you know, but, but, but just bringing all the elements of production design and score and choreography, if there was one, you know, and obviously acting together, I was always, um, always engaged and always uh, affected, you know. And so for me as a, as a filmmaker today, you know, I'm, I'm all about my audience feeling something, you know. So when you say you felt something watching this episode of Quantum Leap, that's the biggest compliment I can ever get is that you, you know, you felt something. So, so yeah, so as a little girl, I wasn't so much looking at the technical because I didn't know enough about filmmaking at that time. Um, but it was really more of like, wow, this, I really love this, you know, and King and I, just since I mentioned it, you know, it's a love story, you know, and even in my young mind, I felt something in, in that relationship, you know, the relationship that was happening between those protagonists. Um, but I will have to say, as I got older and went off to college, I actually thought I would be more of a suit, I'll say, more of a studio <laughs> exec, uh, because I had sort of both sides of my brain working for me. I actually started out as an economics major in college, wow. actually. And, mm -hmm. um, and, and so I thought I would go on the business school. And, you know, so having come to the industry uh, getting my start in production. So on the other side, um, I ultimately worked my way up and, and line produced commercials before I transitioned into directing full time. And so when I say I have both sides of my brain working, you know, I'm, I'm a, a storyteller, a director, writer, I'm a creative, but I'm also a producer. I also know numbers. I also know what it takes to execute um, a scene you know, uh, financially. And so, um, but yeah, but it was really early on, early on, I would say, you know, soon after college and, uh, that I realized, you know, I, I, it wasn't so much I wanted to be a studio exec. I, I really wanted to be on the set and being an integral part of the creative and the execution. And here I am doing it. Mm -hmm. 
That's awesome. Yeah, I'm curious, um, especially having such a background in watching films and loving films, who are some of your favorite filmmakers? And and obviously the big names are great, but especially like anybody that might fly under the radar um, that, that's just been inspiring to you in some way. Wow. Um, some of my favorite filmmakers, um, I like Sam Mendes. Um, uh, Road to Perdition in particular is a film that I... Um, I love, I really yeah. love Road to Perdition in particular because of the pacing. Mm. Um, it's beautifully shot, obviously, but the, you know, the, the it's, it's a, a film that really, I think, takes you on this, this journey and it, it doesn't, it, it doesn't rush, you know, you're not rushed, you know? Yeah. So, um, yeah, so Sam Mendes comes to mind um, because he's the kind of filmmaker that typically tells story in such a way. Um, I would say, um, you know, one of my favorite films is actually Out of Africa, you know, a bit of an epic film, yeah. um, uh, Sydney, Sydney Pollack. Um, I just think it's, it's a masterful piece of work, you know. Um, you know, I'm not an advocate for, you know, colonialism per se in terms of the storytelling but in terms of just the execution um i think he did a phenomenal phenomenal job um you know i i know I've, I've seen goodfellas well so you know i have the drop scorsese i've seen fellas yeah. i don't know how i think a lot of us have seen it you know no less than 20 times absolutely uh, you know the godfather so anyway i can go i can go on and on. I mean, but it's really, it's, it's, it, there are films and then obviously there are the directors and filmmakers. Um, and, and each director for me, um, uh, speaks to a certain thing. So for example, you know, I can look at someone like Spielberg and like, whoa, the attention to detail, you know, mm. I'm a director, you know, I direct television, but I also direct film and I direct commercials. And as, as a filmmaker, um, I'm all about the details as well. So I, so I watch films with that kind of eye, you know, today in terms of, you know, really noticing the, the production design as well as camera movement, obviously, and execution. Um, yeah. yeah, I know I've said a lot. I've answered. <laughs> no, I, 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 I love that answer. I love that answer. I mean, you know, speaking of, of shots, I mean, there's, there's a shot in the episode in particular, which I think is, is, is pretty standout just because the episode itself is, is very claustrophobic for the most part. And there's very few times that we get, you know, out into the world and the, the shot, which is, I mean, you can look at newsreel footage from the time and it's, it's absolute, the veracity of it is, is perfect. Seeing, the, you know, Korean American men standing on top of the movie marquee with their guns and, and the way that that shot just really opens the world up in this way. And, you know, it's, and, and, and with Ben's POV looking up, it's just, it's, it's, it's stuff like that is, is wonderful. And, and it, and it's those moments where, uh, you know, yeah, you kind of get to step outside of some of that. And, um, you know, and obviously the, the, the detail of everything in the shoe store and, um, those, those other moments, but, but stuff like that, I really appreciate it. And I, you know, I was just kind of curious mm -hmm. as to, um, I know having gotten the opportunity to speak with Derek and Ben, I know that that was something that was in the script that they really wanted to show. Um, but when it comes to constructing that and actually filming that, uh, I'd be very curious as to know kind of what, you know, what went into that? What was the thought process behind it? Well, you know, it all starts on the page, right? So, you know, Derek and Ben wrote a phenomenal script, you know, and and I, I have to admit that when I first got the script and I read it, 
and you know I did uh, I did a bit of a like a fist pump, like, you know, yeah. <laughs> like I literally did a fist pump because, you know, coming into, um, you know, a, a television show series, you know, I, I have no control over what script I'm going to receive. Sure. And, you know, some are, some are better than others. So to get this script of a subject that was really sort of more recent history um, and that was so charged um, and I was, I felt really uh, lucky for, to want to get this script. And so, yes, that scene of the Korean um, store owners on the top of, mar- of top of the marquee is, is written in the script. It's a line in the script, right? Yeah. And so for me, you know, the execution of that is, is you know, doing my own research, you mm-hmm. know, you know, because it is recent history. We can find images and imagery of what that actually looked like in 1992. Um, And then, you know, it was important to me that that scene have a feeling of grandness, you know, and, you know, we, we actually filmed, um, filmed that scene on the back lot of Universal Studios. So we weren't actually, on location in Koreatown, um, right. that would have been challenging in some ways because we really had to have command and control over three blocks <laughs> of, of of a of a you know city uh, areas, uh, city streets, which was which would have been hard to do. And yeah. so, you know, and so that that moment, that scene, it was important to me that I clock that we clock, you know. Uh, ben seeing them and and the and our Korean store owners on the top of marquee seeing Ben and acknowledging them. Mm. And so, you know, it's it's a crane shot, you know, it's is 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 meant to be shot um just with some expansiveness, you know, because you're right, you know, the 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 episode in many ways is pretty contained, you know. So yeah, hopefully that answers the question a little bit. But. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I wanted to ask about um, – I, I just finished watching The Christmas Lottery. I really loved it. <laughs> I, I love Christmas movies, and, uh, I, I, you know, you just n- nailed that one. That was pretty good. I, I really enjoyed it. I got all the feels at the end. Oh, my God, uh, Alvin. You're going, like, way back. <laughs> yeah. I went down the IMDb, and I started watching stuff. So, okay. But that's what I just got finished watching. I enjoyed it. And uh, being like a feature film director and going to an established television show, like I've heard directors like Kevin Smith talk about how it's different uh, doing a film versus going into like a machine in motion. Uh, So like, could you explain to us, because we, you know, we're not directors and we're not on the set. What's it, what's the differences between like making a film uh, like you do, or then coming into something where pretty much everybody knows what they're doing and they're just looking to you to be the leader, I think, right? Right. Well, the difference is, you know, in episodic television, obviously, as a director, I'm hired to come into a, a, a family, a, a house that is already there. there. There's a way that the house is run. Um, there are, you know, the, the, the people who live in the house live there full time. <laughs> and I'm just a guest. Right. If I'm sort of painting a picture. I create an analogy. Um, and so for me, it's really important to 
one, obviously know the show that I've been hired to direct. Um, typically, I, I will watch the episodes that have been shot previous to mine, um, meaning in that season, you know, obviously, you know, that have not been aired yet. Um, and then, you know, it's really, you know, my, my job is to elevate what's on the page, what the writers would Ben, in this case, Ben and Derek wrote on the page. And if there's any questions that I have, then I, I go to the writers, like, what did you mean here? You know, this is how I interpret it here, you know? And so they're, they're, the writers are always great resources. Um, but, you know, but I'm coming into something, into a house that's already firing, you right, on all cylinders. And so my job is to very quickly get up to speed, um, have a great command of the script, because no one will have a, no one, not even the writers, I think, will have um, as great a command of the script as I will have ultimately, as a director will have. Because we're looking at it from all perspectives, not just the, the words on the page, it's production design, it's costumes. You know, I'm thinking about shots, shot lists, how, how the camera's going to move. So I'm thinking of all these other elements to really help bring this episode to life um, in a world that already exists, typically. However, Quantum Leap is special that every week, every episode is a standalone episode right? It's a different world. That's unheard of. <laughs> and so in some ways, Quantum Leap is similar to me directing a film because it's a world that had not existed previously. You know, yes, we get the current day, present day headquarters, you know, you know our, our, our characters and their storylines and their arcs are happening but, you know, you, with Quantum Leap, I can be, you know, 18th century Western. And here I am now in, you know, early 90s, you know, LA Uprising, you know. So um, Quantum Leap is very unique and very special for that reason. So I would say in this case, for me, um, it was most similar to directing a feature film um, because I had a little bit more creative license and control to really help create what that world looks like, which is what I do when I'm directing a feature film. You know, I, it, it's all me, <laughs> you know, every, yes, there are, there are other cooks in the kitchen, potentially, you know, studio, what have you, but like, but there who have, who have an opinion, but, um, but at the end of the day, it's really up to me to really help hone in on the details of that world. And so, um, yeah, so I would say in this case, yes, the, you know, the short of it is this episode in particular is probably most similar to my directing, you know, a feature, a feature film. And, nice. and thank you for watching the Christmas lottery. <laughs> oh, I loved it. I loved it. My mom had already seen it. And she said it was really good. So I was like, I should watch Thank it. Thank you. Thank you. I enjoyed making that, that particular yeah. film. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, can't go wrong with Reginald Bell Johnson. Um, oh, yes. So <laughs> such, such, working with such people like Reginald Bell Johnson and Ernie Hudson, what is that like? Just like people that you've seen on your screen and like are icons of the industry and you get to work with them. Wow. Um <laughs> 
Huh. You know, that well, well is wonderful. I mean, you know, it's <laughs> like, you know, these are these are these men are are legends. You know, they're they're so recognizable and legends and they could not be more nice. They are so nice. Ernie is such a sweetheart. And throughout my prep process, um, I like to talk to the actors if I'm able to before we film and introduce myself, you know, without a mask on on set or, you know, just introduce myself uh, and um, and also ask them, you know, how do they like to work, you know, as actors? How can I um, be be supportive of them in doing what they do? And so I got to talk to Ernie, of course, before filming. And we just had such a great conversation and dialogue, you know, and talking about this script and this episode because he is so featured in this episode. And we really get a, um, we really see magic in a way we've not seen him before, right? And, and Ernie was so open and talking about his own personal experience and what he had experienced, you know, in the 60s, late 60s. Um, and so there were these commonalities um, or these parallels, I should say, between Ernie Hudson, you know, the man and, um, and Magic, you know, the character. So, um, so yeah, it was great working with, with, with Ernie on this episode, to say the least, and the entire cast, r- really all the way around, Lo- lovely cast, you know, but, uh, but yeah, Ernie, Ernie's an OG and, and mm-hmm. a legend, so that was uh, extra sweet. Now, I had heard that Ernie was actually in Detroit um, you know, during that time period. Um, and, and without, you know, I, I am certainly not asking you to gossip or betray any confidences or anything, but I, it was mentioned to me that, yeah, you know, the the two of you did have a conversation, especially about that scene between magic and Jen, when magic, you know, tells that story. And I'm really kind of curious what kind of dialogue, you know, you create with the actor in that moment. And that, especially when something like that comes up, that he was actually there, because that was something that, you know, when, when I spoke with Ben and Derek, nobody knew, like nobody was like, oh, Ernie was there. We can go to him, that they found that out in the course of the making of the episode. Mm-hmm. So I'm very curious what that dialogue was like with him and, and preparing for that scene and kind of, you know, uncovering that fact that he he had that experience, if not the exact experience that Magic had, but he had been, you know, been there. Yeah. And that was something I learned just in my conversation with Ernie, you know, and and you know, look, Ernie, while he's, you know, a recognizable face and, you know, he's, he's a, he's a, he's a black man in America, you know, and, and yes, he did have um, his own personal experiences, you know, having been in Detroit in the late sixties. And so he, he knew very much what magic, um, what, Magic was going through. I mean, he really connected with um, where Magic is in this moment, you know, in the in the series uh, and in this episode, and um, around race relations in particular. And um, and so, yeah. I mean, I you know, I, I wish Ernie could be on here to talk personally about his own experience. <laughs> so I won't do that. But but yes, he did have a a, a personal. Um, connection and he he said to me that you know after the the Detroit riots in, in 67 Detroit was never the same 
Yeah. You know, and I think in some ways, L.A. Um, uh, was never the same, I think, in some ways. Um, yeah. Although although I will have to say I was I got to L.A. a few years after 1992. But like I think everyone, we were all watching what was unfolding um, in L.A. And, you know, I grew up in Miami, Miami, Florida, so a major city. And I think in some ways, you know, in these other major cities, there were things happening that those cities, uh, you know, really connected to L.A. They were similar to what was happening yeah. in, in L.A. So, um, but yeah, Ernie definitely had his uh, his own experiences and could bring that obviously to to magic. And that scene with him and Jen, oh my God, like, you know, um, it is such a powerful scene. You know, such a, such a powerful scene. I have two favorite scenes in this particular episode, and that is one of my two favorite episodes. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, I definitely want to know what the other one is, but before I get there, you, you <laughs> mentioned, and this is a question that I had asked Ben and Derek as well. You, you know, you mentioned not being in LA at the time of the uprising. Mm -hmm. And I'm very curious to, you know, to bring your context to the history of the, the episode and the situation. What was your perspective at the time that, you know, these events were occurring in April and May of 1992. And, you know, was there an awareness that you had before the verdict came down? You know, obviously one of the things that, you know, unfortunately, I, I think it's, it's more, um, people are more knowledgeable about it now than maybe they were 10 or 15 years ago, but like the Latasha Harlan's murder, for instance, that occurred prior to uh, the verdict coming in and just the tensions that were already existing, you know, surrounding the events of the Rodney King beating and going forward. So I'm curious what your own experience with those events was and, 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 you know, what your perspective on those things was like at the time that this was happening. Well, in the early nineties, I was a young teenager you know, I was pretty, I was, you know, I knew what was happening in, in, in the world, definitely in the country. Um, and so um, I, you know, I definitely remember, you know, we all remember the, the, the Rodney King beating in itself um, and the Latasha Harlan's murder happened well, about two weeks after Rodney King's beating, actually. What we show in this episode is a year after that, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's 1992. It's now the verdict of the Rodney King um, beating uh, that ignites um, this L.A. uprising, if you will. And, you know, I think for me as, as a young Black girl, um, you know, I I was pretty astute actually, and even at a young age, I actually thought I I, I was a storyteller, but I but I was very very knowledgeable about politics. I thought, in fact, when I went away to college, I was a double major. I was political science and economics. If so, that gives you a sense of you know where my interests lie. And so this, you know, what was happening in our country in terms of race relations was very much something that was at the forefront of my mind in many ways. Um, and so, you know, while I wasn't living in Los Angeles, um, Miami had its own, um, you know, its own uprisings, you know, growing yeah. up. So, so there definitely was a, was a connection, you know, and, and then, you know, to bring us forward to, to, 
you know, this year, 2023, and the making of this particular episode, you know, I, you know, I, I say that I'm, I'm lucky to have gotten the script and be able to tell the story now, because I think, you know, for me as a black woman director, um, having a direct lived embodied experience, you know, um, as a person of color coming to helm an episode like this, I think is, um, I think makes all the difference in the world and, and how an episode like this is executed, you know, and in terms of what I'm paying attention to, um, you know, I think I bring uh, a more um, uh, like multidimensional perspective, you know, a yeah. more humanizing perspective of, of who we are as, as people of color, as black people in particular, because this, you know, there was a lot of, lot of um, tension between the Korean community and black community at that time. And it continues to this day to some extent, yeah. right? Yeah. And so, um, so yeah, I, 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 so the short answer to your question is I was definitely having my own lived experience at that time and being old enough to, to be affected by it and then cutting to today. Um, it was so important to me that I really stay true to who I think these characters are and what this and what was happening at this time. And also that magic, you know, is um, unafraid, if you will, mm. to show um, his own sort of vulnerability in the telling of what happened to him. And then just also see his sensitivity uh, to Dwayne, what's happening with Dwayne, you know, in this episode, the young young African-American brother in, in the episode who himself is a target, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's fascinating to me, and I don't know if it's my place to draw any kind of parallel whatsoever, but I, I recently, I've, I've been reading the new Tupac Shakur biography, and... Um, Stacey Robinson is brilliant, it's brilliantly written. And she writes a lot about Afeni in the, in the beginning of the book and about how Tupac's mother at a very young age had to get engaged politically. Do you, do you feel that that is, that that tends to be true for a person of color, that there is this level of engagement? There's almost like a, a pressure or, or that, that, you know, if you don't get engaged, that it could be to your detriment. No, I, I don't think that that's a, a, a sort of a normal or typical thing. Yeah. You know, I would say that I am more politically engaged than my mother. Sure. You know, um, yeah. I'm I, exponentially so. <laughs> so that so that I can't make that comparison to Tupac Shakur and his mother, right? Because right, his mother sure. was very, you know, um, very politicized, very aware, and 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 um, uh, so yeah, no, I don't, I don't think that that's. Um, I, I think, I think, I think that as 
a Black person, I think Black children, as soon as they leave the comforts of their their home, as soon as they walk out that door for the first time and walk into a space where their parents aren't with them, i.e. schools, whether it's, you know, preschool or, you know, daycare, whatever that looks like, there there is a socialization that happens. There are things that happen, um, happens to young Black children in the way that we were treated and, and not really understanding and knowing, you know, what it meant. But, you know, as an adult, as someone older now, I can look back at a time and say, oh, that was that wasn't right what that teacher yeah. did or said. Right. And right. so. Um, but, yeah, to answer your question, no, I don't think it's an automatic. Yeah, we need to really be engaged in politics. But there is there is a survival code for sure. There is a, a, a teaching, um, a learning of, OK, how do we survive um, in uh, this place where there can be microaggressions coming at us um, as soon as we walk out our doors as, as babies, really? Well, that's one of the things, too, that, that's really striking about that scene uh, between Magic and Jen. I mean, Magic, in essence, says exactly what you just said. You know, as a child, like, you're prepared. You know, you're 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 told, you know, and, 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 and this is how you have to act. And, you know, if the police stop you and, the, you know, that sort of thing. And, and, and uh, I, you know, one of the things that the episode does so well is it offers us some incredible context, obviously reaching back to Detroit in 67, you know, or the long hot summer in, in, in general, but specifically Detroit. And then of course, you know, taking place in LA in 92, but it's, it's, I think it's impossible for a viewer in 2023 to also not be able to further contextualize that in the wake of black lives matter and, and the George Floyd protests. W was that at all on your mind during the making of this episode that you have these three distinct periods of time and, and very recent history, as well as this not so far removed history. And then this, further back history that, that, you know, that this episode is, is far too relevant in so many ways. Mm -hmm. um, and what that context, you know, might mean for you as a director. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's um, yes. I mean, obviously this episode, this subject matter um, is very much connected to what we all witnessed in the last few years around the black lives movement. Um, and you know, or we've seen in, in old, you know, 1960s footage of the civil rights movement, right? Yeah. So um, these movements, um, um, there's there's a, there's a commonality, you know. There's there's there, and really the the goal, if you will, is the same. <laughs> you know, um, the goal um, uh, is to is to be seen. The goal is uh, inclusivity, the goal is equity. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I, you know, coming into this episode, you know, I can draw on really recent history, obviously, in terms of Black Lives Movement. Um, but, you know, 1992 was, like I said, it wasn't so long ago, so I can go right to that, that place, you know? And so I look, you know, I also in my own preparation, you know, I was looking at uh, uh, different documentary footage, reading different things um, to really just sort of help 
you know, jog my memory of like, okay, this is what was happening during this time. But, but yeah, they're all, they're all connected. You know, we have a, we have a ways to go um, in, in this country uh, for sure. Um, you know, to sort of eradicate your know, racism, if you will. So, yeah. Well, it's striking too, because there's a line that, that Ernie has during that moment, which is, which is just brilliant. And I love it so much um, is that the sparks of injustice may vary, but systemic oppression will always light the fuse. And no matter how much progress we make, that will never change that, that fear. And you know, it's worth noting that Deborah Pratt penned an episode for the original series, Black on White on Fire, which takes place during uh, the Watts riots. And, and, and she wrote that originally actually as a stage play that had nothing to do with Quantum Leap and then transferred it over to an episode of the show. Um, and that episode was produced in 1990. So even before yeah. LA. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that one of the things that Quantum Leap, you know, does, does well is to, is to contextualize some of those events sometimes. And, and unfortunately, as we find ourselves repeating, it is hard and it has to be frustrating. And to see the parallels between Dwayne and magic and Dwayne's frustration over Jen's persecution, just finally bubbling out. Whereas magic, there's like this, it's very different for him. We've never seen this before. There's like defeat, you know, he feels, he feels almost hopeless. And it's like these traumas upon traumas upon traumas and, and being triggered by the events that he sees and Dwayne having to hide under the trash can, you know, when, when, when coming to those, those moments, I mean, obviously, like you said, you, you want people to feel things. You can't necessarily direct for mood or for feeling, right. But you, you're telling a story, but I am curious, like the, the, the choice to show, that, you know, Dwayne underneath the, the the garbage can and the way that it's done. It was very powerful for me. It was very affecting for me, you know, seeing it from that perspective. And uh, I'm, I'm not, I'm not sure exactly what my question is here. I'm just, it's a very powerful episode, but, 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 but I am, I, yeah, I'm curious, you know, kind of when, when approaches in approaching these situations that unfortunately still very, feel very present. Like you said, we have a long way to go. And I remember as a 10 year old child watching these events unfold, I was living in the suburb of St. Louis and there was a little unrest in St. Louis, you know, after the fact as well. Um, not to mention, of course, what would happen decades later, but, uh, watching these things unfold and, and, and at the time as a 10 year old white kid in Midwestern suburbia, I was like, I thought we fixed this, you know, <laughs> like I thought, I thought, I thought, I thought we fixed this. And as I'm watching this and realizing no, and now of course, having a very different perspective, I, you know, approaching this, I, I'm just, I, I'm just wondering what level of sensitivity and, 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 and what level of perhaps even anger or emotion you can't help, but have, you know, uh, approaching shooting some of these scenes. Hmm. Well, I, I never feel angry. Um, you know, I'm, I'm hired to do a job, right? First and <laughs> foremost. And, you know, like I said, you know, I definitely come to this space, you know, having this sort of direct lived embodied experience, right? That is for which I can connect to these characters in a way that you might not be able to, right? As a director, as if you were directing the episode. And so, you know, I think you feel something because I've humanized the characters, 
You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that I think that and this goes this is this is a this goes to another sort of question of of you know does it matter that Spike Lee directed Malcolm X, right? Could Spielberg have directed Malcolm X? Both done a great one of would have done a great job. But but the fact that Spike Lee is a black male director directing a story about a black man and that black man's plight and probably has some similar journey um, makes all the difference in the world. So for me, as a black woman coming to tell this particular story, um, you know, I want to make sure that the characters, all the characters, but definitely the black characters as well as the Asian characters or, you know, the Latina character, that there's, that they're humanized, that there's a human, there's a humanizing that happens because a lot of times with other people at the helm, (laughs) you know, when, when we're telling the story through another lens, um, that doesn't come all, always come across because it's not as important in my opinion. And so, you know, just like it's not as important in terms of the media, I think definitely during this time in the early nineties, you know, the media is it you know the stories are told through the, the the lens of the dominant culture, which is white. You know, imagine had the news footage newscast been told from the lens of the Korean American or the Black American. You know, for the world to see. You know what I mean? Not just in their communities. Just imagine that, right? And so for me, coming to the script and coming to the storytelling, um, I it's, it's important to me that you as the audience member, you feel, you see yourself in Dwayne. When he's under that dumpster, like I was very intentional. I was very intentional with that moment because I could have had him laying on his stomach, sort of peering out under the dumpster, but it mattered to me to have him on his back, mm-hmm. you know, like he's, he's, he's fighting for his life. Like he's yeah. run, he's just, like, I, he just needs to get down, you know, and he's, you know, he's on his back and he's, you know, he's out of breath and he's, you know, uh, I mean, look, it's, it's a, you know, it's, it's a one hour drama, you know, 43 minutes of, of television, you know, but in that moment, I'm thinking about what is this young man feeling and experiencing, you know, I'm sure, you know, in that moment of panic, you know, his eyes are closed. He's, he's, you know, breathing heavy. He's probably looking up at the sky because he's outside. It's at night. He's probably, you know, he's, he could be in prayer, you know, like, look, don't let me get caught by these cops. You know, there, so for me, you know, if you felt something, if you, if you, then that means that I've, I've humanized, um, you know, me and the writers, the writing, you know, but in how I'm showing it is, is all about me humanizing these characters. So you see them um, as human beings, human beings, first and foremost, not a black young man, first and foremost, right. but as a human being. Foremost. And that's the thing that I think we connect with, you know, um, 
that's the heart speak, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's when we're able to see ourselves and others. I, I, I think you absolutely nailed that in that part. Cause I was right there with Dwayne under that dumpster hiding mm. with him. And I mm. felt that fear and it's not something that in my everyday life I feel because I was just born the way I was and the world is the way it is. And I don't, I don't experience that. But for that moment, I did. And I was so um, affected by it, just thinking of, oh, my goodness, for so many people in the world, how horrible it is just to be. <laughs> and it, it, I think it really conveyed that to me and the audience. Mm -hmm. I really think so. So great job. Uh, the I, I think what's a big difference about Quantum Leap today and, say, 30 years ago is there's a much greater um, – thought process of having the right persons do the right stories, the right storytellers tell the right stories. Uh, do, do you find that that's uh, in your career, it's more like that uh, uh, everywhere or is like quantum leap an exception to where they actually care about who's behind the camera as well as who's in front of the camera? I, I don't think all shows are built the same, <laughs> you know, to, <laughs> you know, I, so I think, I think that quantum leap, you know, clearly is more conscious of uh, who they hire as directors, you know, um, and having more inclusivity, you know, which makes sense. You know, you're telling stories where, you know, your cast is primarily people of color, <laughs> you know, and, and so it makes perfect sense that you would bring, you know, directors who happen to be people of color and women and, you know, queer and, you know, all of those things. Like that's just, to me, um, good management. <laughs> you know, <what> I, mean? <laughs> just, I don't know how else to put it. <laughs> you know? So, because um, that's where you get, that's, where you're going to get the best storytelling, right? I think, in my opinion, you're going to get the best storytelling and execution when you have different perspectives and not one kind of perspective, you know, white male's perspective, which television has been for a long time and television still is to a great extent. And, you know, unfortunately, and, you know, and so I think, you know, Quantum Leap is, is from what I see so far, is definitely one of those shows um, that is very mindful of who they're bringing into the house, because the inside the house, you know, you have, um, you know, uh, an ensemble cast where, you know, two are Asian American actors, you have a, a gender non-conforming actor, you have an African-American actor, you know, as all sort of co-leads, if you will. So, um, yeah, it's, it's uh, but, but not all shows are built the same. Not all shows care, <laughs> care about that as, as much. <laughs> but what do you do? I wanted to ask uh, more a little bit about Black and White on Fire. That was such an amazing episode uh, in the original Runner Quantum Leap, one of the best episodes. Uh, and this episode was going to be compared to it no matter what you did because it had to do with riots and 
things. Uh, what did you feel any pressure going into this episode, knowing uh, how greatly um, loved the a similar story was in the original series? No, not at all. Okay, okay, cool. <laughs> I mean, I I didn't feel any pressure at all. Yeah, I'm I'm not so concerned about. You know, I mean, I'm someone definitely who does my homework and who prepares. I am all about preparation, but I'm, but I also am a, a, a director, a storyteller who believes in my own voice and, and believes that I, um, can come up with a way to execute the story in a way that is engaging, that it can stand on its own and not be compared to anything else, you know, or if it is, and that's a compliment, then great, you know? <laughs> um, but, but no, I didn't feel any pressure at all. I, you know, the only pressure I had was, you know, we, is that I, I, I didn't have a lot of days to shoot the episode. So it was just really those were the pressure of just, you know, time of like, okay, we only have this amount of time to shoot this episode. And there's a lot happening in this episode. So, um, but other than that, no, creatively, I didn't, I didn't have, I didn't, I wasn't feeling any pressure from anyone, you know, and, and, you know, and, and Deborah's lovely, you know, Deborah was on set and, and, you know, sitting behind me in video village, you know, um, here and there and, <laughs> And she was, uh, she's such a sweetheart and, and um, really a, a fan, you know, a fan. And, and so I'm so honored. I was so honored to, to get to tell this, this story, you know, and uh, yeah. So if, if it's compared to her episode, then, you know, Hey, I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> I have a few just uh, comments, questions, um, the a couple of the shots that uh, I really liked in the episode that weren't too heavy uh, necessarily uh, like was when um, there was that moment of levity when um, Jen said, uh, when did you learn to speak Korean after that whole Korean scene? Uh, was it hard to have that moment of levity in all this heaviness around there? No, uh, <laughs> no, no. I mean, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's so wonderful when I get to work with a great cast, you know what I mean? And CS, CS Lee, who plays Jin mm -hmm. Park, the, the store owner, you know, such a great guy, so open, so wanting to, um, you know, it's like, Tamika, what, you know, what do you need? You know, he's want, wanting to, to, to give his best performance. And he's, you know, he's great at what he does. You know what I mean? He, he makes me look good. Uh, you know, <laughs> so, um, but that moment in particular, um, you know, it's interesting. We, we did a few takes of that. And, you know, and there were a couple of ways I could have, a couple of ways that that moment could have been done, you know, in terms of Jen's performance, um, you know, what you see in the episode. Um, I just felt that it was the funniest, you know, because there's another way where Jen could have been more like more subdued, like, well, what, 
when did you learn Korean? I mean, they <laughs> still would have had some levity, right? But Jin is a passionate <laughs> character, you know, from my perspective. And, and we see, you know, we see these uh, Jin, uh, we, saw, we see so many emotions from him in this episode, right? But I just think that moment, you know, with his, his, fire and his being ch- can, being charged, it was just appropriate that his delivery of that line be that way, you mm-hmm. know, and um, but, but yeah, you know, it was an episode that definitely had, you know, a lot of drama, but it was an episode um, and this, I my you know, my hat's off to the writers, you know, an episode like this, you have to have these moments of, of levity, you know, um, and such is life. Hmm. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you, there are these moments where someone just laughs, even at the most, you know, sad thing that could have happened, hmm. you know? Yeah. And, and so, um, yeah, but thank you for pointing that out that, that particular moment, but, but it, but it wasn't, it wasn't, challenging or difficult um it was an invited moment obviously i think because it's like oh this is this is funny and we were all we were all <laughs> laughing in video village so that's awesome a uh, couple just comments uh, i loved a couple of the shots that were so short but they meant a lot uh one was the handhold between magic and jen mm-hmm. I, I really like that and uh that one shot of just ernie touching the glasses um, you know, it just said so much in so few frames. Uh, do, do you know that going into it? Do you see that in your mind before you're uh, going to film that that might be that important and that short and just perfect? Well, you know, it's interesting because Magic's office on the set, I remember walking into that, his office for the first time, and there's not a lot of things in the office that Ernie could use as um, for business, you know, like enacting the business of like, you know, you know, there, you know, and so I was sort of given what the moment was like, that was just something I came up. Like it was there. I said, Oh no, I say, you know, rub, do, do this. I told her to do, you know, just rub your hand. You know, he's not going to, you know, I didn't want him like pick up a glass and look at, you know, that little bit too, <laughs> like, you know, but, but, you know, he's pacing in the room, he's feeling something he's, He's and so you and we know that this this is a struggle, you know, um, potentially taking a drink, potentially. So um, and so that was something in my being in the space. I say, yeah, just just do that, you know. Something as simple as as rubbing your your hand, your fingers on those glasses. That's all I needed, right? Because mm-hmm. we we knew the rest. That's the audience. It, it was amazing just how much it told in that few short seconds. Mm, thank so, you for that. Thank you. I, I wanted to ask about a uh, fan favorite, um, Susan Dial coming back as Beth and introducing the relationship with magic and Beth. Uh, what was that, that whole uh, filming that whole part out? And, and also was, was there any, um, anything that else that was shot of their storyline that, or other storylines that might've been cut out of the final cut? Mm, um, well, to start, with the final question, we're my way backwards. Um, no, I think every, everything I shot is in the episode. Um, 
And then, uh, well, Susan's lovely, <laughs> um, <laughs> who plays Beth. Uh, it was, and they were great together, uh, Beth and, and Ernie. Um, there is, you know, it's, it's so strange because like, I know the episode has aired, but there's, mm-hmm. but I'm so kind of conditioned to not give away any spoilers, yeah. right? So <laughs> I'm like, I don't know how much I should say. Um, <laughs> um, hmm. I really enjoy shooting their scene in the kitchen. Mm. I really enjoy that scene. Um, I think it's beautifully shot. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the music, I, you know, there's a lightness to it. Um, yeah, and it's such a different scene from any other scene in the whole episode, right? Like where we go in this episode is like completely different world from that moment. Um, but um, yeah, I don't know if I answered your question, Albie. Oh yeah, that was great. That was great. My final, my final uh, uh, question thought is um, we spoke with uh, Christina Castro uh, a few weeks ago and she's the one who edited this episode and uh, she, we were talking about how many like different versions there might be and little tiny cuts uh, like working with Christina going back and forth for your final cut um, was that a long process or did you guys like get together pretty quickly on it yeah no typically um, and you may already know this the way it works is that you know after I'm done filming um, I know a few days later, <laughs> um, you know, I will get an assembly from my editor. So I will get, you know, so from Christina, I got what she put together, you know, probably a week later or so. And then I have, um, about four days to work with Christina, um, and really hone in on my director's cut, you know, and, and, tweak and and take, you know, there might be a take that she thought, you know, uh, was the better take, but then I, I may think differently, you know? And so, um, and typically on set in terms of my favorite takes, the script supervising is noting that anyway, but things change, you know, when you're looking at an episode from beginning to end, you know, what I thought was the better take um, on set there might be another take that actually works better in that moment when looking um, at the full context, right, of the episode. Um, and so, um, but yeah, I mean, Christina and I, we work wonderfully together. Um, uh, I don't think I, I mean, I came in and I did what I needed to do, but uh, I think the episode, my director's cut, and what we delivered um, is pretty much, what you see, what was airing, what aired, what, what aired, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, so yeah, it was a great, it was a great process. It was, it was, it was such a, a pleasure for me to get to work with Christina. It's my first time working with her. Um, and um, it might've been her, I don't know if it was her first or second Quantum Leap episode as an editor, but, you know, sort of a newer editor to the show. Um, but it was it was a very smooth process, very smooth process. Everything was there, right? So it'd be one thing if we didn't have the elements to put in there, but every, but I, I managed to shoot everything we needed um, to make everything work. 
And, um, and so, but yeah, but my hat's off to Christina because, you know, editors are special, you know, they, they're able to make magic in those editing rooms. And uh, I think we, we, we did a great job on this one. Agreed. Thank you. Yeah, I, I completely, I completely agree. Um, I want, I want to jump back just briefly to uh, Susan and, and the inclusion of Beth. There, the moment between uh, Magic and Beth in Magic's office um, is 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 pretty powerful for a number of reasons. Um, and I, I love the fact that as, as a recovering alcoholic myself, there are moments in the episode that are very easily identifiable. And I sit at, you know, four months or four years, two months and five days of sobriety right now. Um, one of the things that I love about this episode, and I, I talked with Ben and Derek about this, is the fact that we learned that Beth and Magic have been together for a year, 365 days. But Magic's only been sober for 353 days. And I just love that. I really appreciated that. And in the scene between the two of them in Magic's office, as especially as, as a viewer and lover of the classic series, someone who's done a podcast on Quantum Leap for six years now, there was a palpable sense that as Beth is talking to Magic about all of this, that it is not just the scene she's playing. She is playing the weight of Al and Sam and everything that came before and Al's own issues with alcoholism. I'm I, in, in packing a scene like that. I mean, I know that obviously the actors got to do it right, but in putting that subtext in and, and, and doing that and creating that moment, I, I really would love to know what the, those conversations were like and, 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 you know, what you got from it too, you know, as, as, as the director and seeing what Susan was doing and just kind of being like, you know, there's, there's more to all of this. Yeah, that's how, oh, wow. Very, very astute line of questioning because <laughs> <laughs> clearly you're a fan of the show, right? Because that scene, you're absolutely right. You know, Beth is bringing to that moment in this storytelling, all of this history, all of this, uh, these past feelings and uh, experiences uh, that she had with Al. And when Susan, when we did the scene, I'll give you a little, little in, intel insider info. Um, when we <laughs> did the scene, <laughs> um, what you see in the final episode in terms of Susan's performance is not what Susan did initially, instinctively mm. initially, you know, and, and I went to um, Susan and I, and I really, I, I knew that the scene called for Beth to, really get to a place that um, that we don't see Beth at typically, right? Yeah. You know, she's, you know, she's a little bit more mild-mannered, you know, mm-hmm. as a character. And so I went to Susan. I was like, no, we, like, I just kept pushing Susan. I was like, I, I like, you know, if I'm going to use, you know, sure, angry, um, but, but it's, but it's not angry. It's, 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 it's fear. It's someone who's afraid, who's really afraid of what is happening, what might happen, what, what, you know, like she's gone through this before 
and she she loves magic. She doesn't want this to happen again. And so I really wanted you, the audience, to feel in that moment what Beth is wrestling with, you know? Mm -hmm. And so um, I really worked with Susan in that scene to get her to a place where it, where magic really felt, you know, her own fear, yeah. you know, so much so that he could lose her, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so that was a scene where, um, you know, Susan and I, uh, yeah, well, I, I, I spoke to Susan and I was like, yeah, we, I, I want you to, to really, to really go there. You know, don't just come into that office and be, and confront him. Yeah, I found this. Da, da, da. No, like I want you. I want you to come in more hot. Come in more hot. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And so, so I appreciate you mentioning that scene because um, it was uh, a scene that I felt as a director it was important for me to to uh, push the actress a little more, you know, we can always ring it in. We all, you know, we, we right. have different versions of it, right? Give me all the versions. All of it is good. No, yeah. there's no bad version of it, but give me this as well. You know what I mean? And I think Susan did a remarkable job and she's so lovely to work with. So. Mm. Yeah, it was. It's a, it's a standout moment, and one of the things too about the episode that I really appreciated is, of course, you know, and earlier we were talking a lot about history and context and, and that sort of stuff, which is important to me, and I think it's one of the great things that you know, as Deborah always says, it's got to have those four H's, right? And one of those H's is history, and so I think that that's important. However, to me, and this is obviously my own personal engagement with it, I, I cannot help but be you know touched by by magic story throughout the episode. And I feel like one of the things that the last couple of episodes of, of quantum leap, the revival ha ha has done is find these beautiful ways to intertwine the project stories and the leap stories before we got, we usually got wonderful parallels, you know, or we got to see what the project was working on to aid Ben with, but this season, and especially these last two episodes, the stories are, are one in the same. You can't separate them. And magic is, is in a lot of ways is kind of the vessel for that. And, and and it's and it's really beautifully done, um, but of course that you know the story with with his issues with alcoholism. There you know there's there's two other scenes that are really worth mentioning in my opinion, and and one is of course when he admits to Ben that he's an alcoholic, and, um, and this is sort of a two part question. One, were you aware, and what was it like collaborating with Raymond Lee, knowing that this was an episode that he had kind of pitched during the first season that he was like, I want it, I want this story to be told. And, and, and two, that moment where, and, and it's beautiful because we're just on Ben's face. Ben has this inhale, you know, when magic tells him an alcoholic and you can just see as though that admission is like this vapor hanging in the air and Ben chooses to take it on and take the weight of that on the, you know, and shoulder that because it's, you know, I, I chose to leave. So, so yeah, I, I'm very curious about collaborating with Ray because he's phenomenal. And I just think that the work he's done this season in particular is it is a cut above anything you normally see on network television, as far mm -hmm. as I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. And so that moment is just so special. 
and 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 the chemistry between the two of them is beautiful. But mm. but yeah, I, I I I'm curious about that moment and and collaborating with Ray in general in this episode. Well, I mean, you you said it. I mean, Ray is phenomenal. He's a really he's a really great actor, um, and just a lovely spirit. You know what I mean? Like he's just a really beautiful human being. Um, who's down to, to do whatever. <laughs> like, like, okay. And, um, and so, um, yeah, that's a really beautiful moment, um, that scene. And, you know, my, my, my hat's off to Ray, you know, to your point, because he really, he really is, does such a great job. Yes, he's shouldering, the responsibility he's 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 letting magic know like this isn't your fault like this is this is this is this was my choice it was my choice to leave this is my journey you know and um and there's such a love that these characters these two characters have for each other love and respect that is i think so clear in that particular scene you know that moment you know, um, that, you know, there's, there's forgiveness, you know, in the sense of, I think for Ben, Ben is, is saying to magic, forgive yourself, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, um, it's really, um, you know, I, I give, I, I give props to the actors, you know, yes, I come in and I have a thought, you know, but they, they live, they live these characters day in and day out, season after season. And so for me as a director, you know, I, I think I'm, you know, smart enough to like, to, to also lean into them, <laughs> you know, I mean, sure, you sure. know, they, I, to lean into them and let them do what they do. You know, um, but that was a scene I felt that really came fairly organic. Like I didn't, I did there weren't many, um, if any, adjustments that I made as a director. So I, it's all Ray and Ernie, mm -hmm. you know, it really, it really is. You know, for me, it's just, it's about making sure I'm recording, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, um, but yeah, but I can't even, I can't even remember if I had any, um, any adjustments there, you know, they yeah. just nailed it. They just nailed it. I wish I had more to say. I, 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 no, they, they I nailed it. Yeah, I think that that's really lovely, actually, and I I love that, and it, and it, and it speaks to again that sense of collaboration in, on a project mm -hmm. like this. I mean, yeah, you come in, you're the director, you have to kind of tie everything together and see it from all these different angles. But at the end of the day, you also have to rely on you know this person that's you know that that's lighting this particular scene, and this person that's you know and the and the actors and the writer. And so I, I love that. I mean, the collaborative spirit of it all is one of the things that I think I appreciate the most, um, you know, I mean, yes, I love just watching the show, but outside of that, you know, that, that sense of collaboration of working together, of coming together, I mean, mm -hmm. that's what it should all be about. Mm -hmm. Not just making TV, but like, yeah. and um, you, I'll just add this one last thing. So this, yeah. you know, one thing that as a, as a filmmaker, as a storyteller, you always, 
like reaction shots are so key, right? It's not just about getting your coverage and coming up with cool shots. It's the reaction shot. So what you're speaking about in that scene also is Ben's reaction because his back is turned to to magic. When magic says, you know, I'm an alcoholic, um, you know, the camera is in front of, of Ben, but magic is over his shoulder in that particular yeah. scene. And so, you know, we're, we're focused on Ben's reaction, you know, more so in that moment. And, you know, Ray, again, just does what he does so brilliantly. And, you know, and I would, and if there were any, I don't even think I had to give this adjustment adjustment because he just knows instinctively I'm, I'm about taking that moment. Don't rush it. Have the reaction. Take it in. Don't be like, uh, uh, you know, you don't need to take it in. What do you, you know what I mean? Before you make that turn and you're facing magic. So, um, Reaction shots. Always get a reaction shot. Directing mm. 101. <laughs> well, it's, it, it, you know, in that scene between Magic and Jen, I think similarly, there's some beautiful shots of Nanrissa, of Jen reacting to what's being said that, 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 that take that moment even further, you know, because it's, I mean, it, it, it's enough to just hear Magic and, and Ernie say these things. But when you see her reaction, yeah. Last thing that I wanted to mention is I love the way the episode ends. I love the fact that we come back to Magic and, and, and Ernie, you know, getting on the elevator and we have that moment with him making the call to Beth. One of the things that I love about the portrayal of magic throughout the course of this episode is that there's no fear, it seems, from the writers, from, you know, from, from you as the director, from the actor especially, uh, of making, uh, of, of allowing magic to appear vulnerable and in need. Um, and I know sometimes just with a lifetime's worth of viewing television that that can be hard to do with your principal characters, you know, that, that, that we don't like to see that sometimes and how awful that is because it should be normalized. And for me, it was an incredibly touching and powerful moment because he calls her to cancel that dinner and then follows that up with asking her to come to a meeting with him. Mm-hmm. I, again, I mean, it was, it was, it was a moving moment for, for me. Um, and I would love to know a little bit about that moment because, again, I feel like it's just very honest and raw and, and truthful and that there's not a lot, you know, even 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 the camera work. Even, you know what I mean? It's just like, mm-hmm. just let it happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's um, – it is a beautiful moment. Thank you for, for, for mentioning that moment. Um, and just also thank you for, for just, you know, speaking to Ernie um, – seeing Ernie in a way that we don't typically get to see him, right? Which is yeah. like really vulnerable. And and Ernie and I talked about that too. Because mm-hmm. there was, you know, there was definitely a discussion on how much to see, how much of a say breakdown do we see magic have, for example, when he's in the alleyway seeing Dwayne, yeah. right? We, you know, we talked about that. You know, how much do we, how much of a breakdown do we see? And, and I think we found that nice balance of like, we, we are able to see in, in magic space, 
his how effective he is without him, you know, falling to the ground kind of thing. You know what I mean? Yes. Um, um, In despair. And so to your question about this, that last scene in the episode, um, you know, Ernie's just a man, (laughs) right? I mean, you know, I, I had a specific way I wanted to shoot that shot, you know, um, which is very simply, you know, um, uh, you know, just having our camera a little uh, sort of framing Ernie, um, uh, how should I put it? Framing Ernie where we're really seeing more, just more, just his face. I don't really need to see his body, his torso, but just really more space and, um, and just, just pushing in ever so slightly, you know, we know that once that elevator closes, like that's a wrap, like that's the end of the episode. And we've just felt something in that moment, right? At least that's what, that's what my intention was. And so I, yeah, I just think, you know, I think we probably did, I don't know, maybe three takes of that that like you know like three takes and really it was it, it was really wasn't so much about performance it was just like wanting to get the camera movement right wanting to making sure the elevator door closed you know like i it had to be right like the elevator closing when it needed to close after that moment so it was more technical yeah. stuff <laughs> you know <laughs> that, that, that might have tripped us up here and there but in terms of performance ernie um was on it from the first take. Um, And um, yeah, he knew what the episode was about. He knows where his character is in this moment. Um, You know, we know and we believe, I think as the audience, we believe in the depth, I hope, of the relationship that he and Beth uh, have, um, are having. And um, I think that moment informs us you know, absolutely of that depth. Yeah, no, I, I just, I, I thank you so much. I mean, it's a very beautiful episode and there's some wonderful moments and I love what it says about, you know, shouldering the responsibility, but also forgiving yourself and, and, and being able to move on from certain traumas. And I think one of the things that, that the episode is so successful at is you feel the weight of the three years that have passed for our characters at the project in some wonderful ways, especially for magic, obviously, but for Ian as well, you know, Ian and Addison have that lovely scene and that idea of forgiving yourself in order to move on. It's beautifully done. There's some wonderful stuff. And of course, obviously the history and, and, and the passion and everything that goes into the leap itself, which is, which is wonderful. Um, yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed it. And I, and I thank you so, so much. And thank you, Albie, for letting me be here. <laughs> oh, thank you for coming on. And thank you, Tamika, for joining us. It was thank amazing. You. Great, great questions, you guys. I really appreciate the opportunity. Glad you loved the episode.